That's great. Um, it's so good to, to welcome you all to Cornerstone uh, Church this morning on Easter Sunday. If you're visiting, let me add a especially warm welcome to you uh, this morning. I'm going to be reading from God's Word, so if you have a Bible with you this morning, please do turn to, to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading 1 to 44. Um, if you don't have a Bible this morning, there are Bibles out on the bookshelf there, or if you want to speak to one of our welcome team later on, they'll uh, willingly and, and, and joyfully give you a Bible this morning. Um, that would be great. So we're going uh, reading from Luke chapter 24, 1 to 44. <clears throat> But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered these words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes for themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, called Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to them, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his, uh, find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who said to them, He is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as a woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And, the, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But he, they are, urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is not far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, and shown his hands and his feet, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveled, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. God, I just thank you so much uh, for your son, Jesus. I thank you that your perfect plan was uh, played out through his life on, on earth, in his perfect life, in his death on the cross and his resurrection. I thank you, Lord, that because of that, we can uh, know you fully here on earth, knowing that no matter what we do, no matter how much we sin, Lord, that you have forgiven us and given us full grace. We think of the, the robber on the cross that um, was crucified alongside Jesus who just had simple faith in who you were and yet you allowed him to enter with you in your kingdom, Lord, and glory. Thank you for that sweet assurance that you provide to us, Lord. And we thank you that over this period of Easter that we have gone through the, the darkness of Good Friday, the betrayal, the denial of Christ, and we all do that, Lord. We all deny you your rightful place in our lives. And um, it is right to, to dwell on that, Lord. And we went through the silence of Easter Saturday, but today we look to you, the risen Savior, Lord. And we acknowledge that you are King and that you have redeemed us. And we give you the praise and the glory that is due your name this morning. And we want to thank you, especially this morning, for these people that will be baptized later on today. Lord, I thank you that their baptism represents your death and your resurrection and what you have done in their lives, Lord. And we give you glory for that uh, visual representation, that de declaration that you have saved and redeemed them. It is all, uh, all our lives should point to you, Lord, and we thank you that you are our good and loving Savior. So thank you, Lord, that you're with us as we celebrate you this morning. Help us to give you all the praise that is due your name in all our spaces here in Main Church as well as in our kids' spaces. Amen. Thanks, John. Morning, everyone. I do this every Sunday, so I may as well do it this, this Easter or every Easter Sunday, so I may as well do it. He is risen. See, most, most people are like, or well, some people from like a more traditional church background or more even Anglican church background have responded there by saying he is risen indeed. All of us like non-denominational people are like, what, what, eh, what, what do we do here? I don't know what to do. Uh, so we'll give it another go. He is risen. He is risen 
Absolutely, amen. This morning we are looking at the resurrection story from Luke, and we're going to start low. We're going to start low, but then hopefully we're going to take it up and we're going we're to come to a, a conclusion at a high place, but we're starting low. I want you to think this morning of the worst day that you've ever had. The worst day that you've ever had. I want you to think of that, all right? I want you to think of the worst day that you've ever had. And, and you're probably sitting thinking, well, happy Easter, John. But yes, the worst day. A day when your future looked bleak, perhaps uh, illness or whatever it was. Just think of that suffering. Think of that pain. Think of that despair. You see, the reality is that's where we left the disciples on Friday night when we thought about the disciples, when we thought about uh, Jesus on the cross, Jesus suffering. That's where the disciples were. The disciples on, on the day of the crucifixion thought they had lost everything. Peter says to Jesus, we have left before his crucifixion, we have left everything and we, that we followed you. And that's the reality of the story of the disciples. They had, they had left everything. They had left their homes, they had left their father and mothers, they had left their brothers, they had left their employment. They had left everything and followed Jesus. And to them, the crucifixion was the end of it all. You see, what they believed was that God had sent the Messiah to His people, the one that they had longed for, the one that would come, the one that would restore Israel, the one that would conquer all things, and He was killed. And so it was over for them. Furthermore, Jesus had promised them that they would reign with Him. I assign to you, it says in Luke, uh, Luke 22, I assign to you, as the Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at the table of my kingdom and sit on thrones judging with the twelve tribes of Israel. So the disciples hearing this thought, we're in. This is going to be awesome. We're going to rule. We're going to reign. And then the crucifixion happens. Jesus is slaughtered. Their hopes, all of their hopes, had been dashed. They had saw their king stripped, scourged, scorned, beaten, mocked, and ultimately killed. They saw him hanging on a cross. They saw him die. They saw the corpse. Again, think of the hardest day you've ever had, and that's what the disciples were facing into. There was no hope for the disciples at that point. The burial underlines the seeming finality of, of the death Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council that had actually condemned Jesus, asks Pilate for the body. It seems for some reason that Jesus wasn't part of the, or, or Joseph wasn't part of the decision. Uh, perhaps he walked out because he knew it was an illegal meeting. But whatever the cause, this Joseph doesn't seem to be part of it, and he wants the, the body of Jesus so that he can bury it. Now, no doubt that that provided with the disciples with some sort of comfort, but it didn't provide them any hope. Still, all was lost, or so it appeared, or so it appeared. And oftentimes, that is the case with God. It looks as if all hope is lost, and then God moves. 
Think of the story of the Old Testament. Think of Joseph in an Egyptian prison. Think of the Israelites trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. Think of the Babylonians devastating Jerusalem and destroying Solomon's temple. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. Think of all those situations where it seems like all hope is lost and then God moves. God has a plan and God was going to bring about His plan. A great unimaginable good would come out of this despair. The woman who witnessed all of this had, had saw where, where Jesus was buried, and they planned to go to pay their respects to their master. Early in the morning they go, and the first day of the week they arrive to their shock. They see the stone is moved. They look in. There's no body, no Jesus. How on earth could this have happened? Where is he? Now, the first reaction, and I think the first reaction for us all would have been, someone's moved the stone, or they've moved the stone, they stole the body. But why would they do that? Suddenly, these two dazzlingly, dazzlingly bright men appear. They're angels. We're told in verse 23, now the women are completely overcome by this. They, they, they fall on the ground before these majestic creatures, and the angels say, "Why do you seek the living or the dead among or the living among the dead? Sorry. He's not here. He is risen." The angels say, "Jesus is alive. Don't seek him here." But here's the problem all along. They fail to believe. They fail to believe. You see, what they needed was evidence. They failed to believe they needed evidence. And the fact is, they had the evidence all along. It was right in front of them. And like us, we have the evidence. We have the facts, and our problem is disbelief. We have the evidence, we have the facts, but our problem is disbelief. What evidence did the disciples, what evidence did these ladies, what did they have? Well, I think they had, they had three things, four things actually, three things. You thought you were getting away with three there, and I fooled you. There was a fourth. There's four things, I think. One is the Scriptures. They have the Scriptures. Jesus said in verse 25, they were slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. You see, the reality was God was proclaiming a message all along. God proclaimed a message that the Son would come, that the Son would die, that the Son would rise. He has been, been proclaiming that from the very beginning. And he specifically said in verse 26 that the Scriptures show us that the Christ must suffer and enter into glory. Psalm 2, way back in the Old Testament, says this, Psalm 2, 7 and 8, The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage at the, on the ends of the earth your possession. Isaiah 53, 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
Jesus says you're slow of heart, you're slow to believe because you haven't listened the Word. You haven't listened the Scriptures. Here's the evidence. You see, right back from God's statement to the serpent in the Garden of Eden, Eden, that He would send a son that would crush Satan's head, the gospel has been proclaimed. All of Scripture, all of Scripture from the beginning of Genesis through to the end of Revelation points to one person, and that one person is Jesus. God rescuing Noah and his family from destruction through the ark, fulfilling God's promise. Abraham, all the families of the the nations would be blessed through him, fulfilling his promise. The picture on the Mount of Moriah, Abraham about the sacrifice to his only son, all fulfilling his promises. God bringing his people out of Egypt, all fulfilling his promises. All the entirety of redemption history pointing to one person, that one person being Christ Jesus. The entire Old Testament, the entire Scriptures point to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. When you read the Scriptures, do you see Jesus in it all? All of it points to Him. All of it only has one destination, and that is Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Have you believed what Scripture has said? We live in a day and age where Satan, and we've, we've been looking at this through Revelation, we live in a, a day and age where Satan hasn't changed tact from day one. He's not, he's not overly clever. He has one tactic. That one tactic is this. Did God really say? Did God really say? And unfortunately, we as believers fall, or if if we are believers, fall into that, that trap of believing the lie of did God really say? God has given us His Scriptures. He has given us the evidence we need. He has shown us that all of it culminates in Christ Jesus. And that's who we look to this morning. They had the evidence of Scripture. They had the evidence of Jesus' very words Himself. Jesus told them. The angels say, remember how He told you that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. He told them, and they still didn't get it. Now, this is very comforting for me. I don't know about you. It is comforting for me that Jesus stood in the face of the disciples, in the face of the women who were with them, and said, this is what's going to happen. And they went, I don't know, don't think so. Clearly, the disciples should have believed him. They should have held on to the hope what Jesus had to say, that he would rise again. Even though they were confused, even though they were disturbed, they should have believed Again, it's no different from us. We look at the disciples and we think to ourselves, how did they not get it? Jesus was standing in front of them. How did they not understand? They had all the evidence. They had the evidence of the very one who was going to go to the cross. They had the evidence of the very one out of the mouth of the very one who would go to the cross and the very one who would rise again. They had it 
right before them. How did they not believe? No guesswork involved. He was dead straight. Their only task was to believe what he said. Again, for us, what does this mean for us? Well, it means the same thing. Our only task, folks, is to believe what Jesus said. That, that's it. That's it for you. If, if you're here, you're a believer, believe what Jesus said. If you're here and you're an unbeliever, believe what Jesus said. That, that's our only task. It's not more complicated than that. It's not more complex than that. It is simple. Believe what Jesus said. For us as believers, we've been, as I say, in here in Cornerstone, we've been working through Revelation, and Jesus said things, and, and we need to believe them. We've been talking about persecution a lot through Revelation. John 16, Jesus says, In the world you will have tribulation. And we go about thinking, oh no, this should be an easy life. Jesus said it. What should we do? Believe what he said. Believe what he said. 2 Timothy 3, 12, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Matthew 5, 11, 12, Blessed are, the, are, are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. All words from Jesus. What's our responsibility? Believe them. Believe them. They had the evidence. They had the Scriptures. They had the very words of Jesus Himself. They had it all before them. Again, let me ask this Easter Sunday morning, do you believe the words of Jesus? Do you believe the words of Jesus? For you, if you're an unbeliever, if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus, do you believe the words of Jesus when He says He loves you, He sent, He came, He died, He rose again so that you might be set free, so that you might have your sin forgiven? Believe it. Believe it. For you, if you're a believer in here, do you believe the words that there is no condemnation for you? That is gone because of Good Friday, Easter Sunday. Condemnation is no longer yours. You're free. You're free. It's Easter Sunday. Wake up. You're free. Listen, I have been, I have been, we're talking about money. And I asked, was there money to do the actions? Because I would have done them. Bike parts don't buy themselves, right? So, but I've also been offered money to jump into this, right? Now, currently, currently it's at 20 quid, right? I can, I can stand here and do an auction, right? But would you waking up? It's Easter Sunday morning. I'm not going to jump into the tank to get you awake. Come on. You're free. Amen. If you're a believer in Christ in here this morning, because of Easter, you're free. Sin's forgiven, paid for, done. 
out of the way. Your eternity is set. Do you believe the words of Jesus? Thirdly, they had the empty tomb. They had the scriptures, they had the very words of Jesus, and they had the empty tomb. The body was not there. The, the, the clothes are there. And I've, on Manny's and Easter Sunday before, I have given you all the excuses that those who would claim against the resurrection have come up with, and none of them stick. Not one. Oh, the disciples stole the body. Oh, they're a brave bunch of boys. Yes, of course they're going to do that. They all ran, hid. None of them stick. The tomb was empty. Jesus was risen. Again, the empty tomb is evidence of God's faithfulness, fulfilling His promises. Fourth, and finally, they had the evidence of the disciples themselves. I don't know if you've seen the videos that have been circulating this week on social media, but there's a video of, of it's a, a satirical video of the disciples, right, talking about their plan after Jesus' crucifixion. And they say to themselves, right, guys, what we're going to do, this is what we're going to do, right? We're going we're gonna to tell the world that Jesus has rose from the dead. They, they come up, they, they're saying they come up with that plan, right? That we're going to tell the world that Jesus, who's going to believe them? No one. Right, we're gonna, this is the plan. We're going to tell the world that, that, that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's now out of the tomb, he's risen from the dead, and he's alive, right? Brilliant, brilliant part of the plan. Next part of the plan is because of that, we are all going to get murdered. Awesome, yeah? We are all going to be persecuted, and we're all going to get killed. Who's in? It's not a good plan, all right? The disciples aren't capable of coming up with this or seeing it through. These guys saw the risen Jesus. That's what compelled them to go into the world, make disciples, and get killed for doing it. Get killed, murdered. Because they saw the risen Jesus. As I say, the reality is every single one of us in this room has the same evidence that the disciples had, that those who were at the tomb had. Let me ask you a very simple question. Do you believe? Do you believe? For those, again, who are sitting in here and thinking, well, John, you know what? I'd love to believe. But you know, Christians, they do my head in. Join the club. <laughs> you know, I'd love to believe, but like all, it's so hard to understand. I'd love to believe, but I'd love to believe, but just, just forget about all that. Forget about Christians being hypocrites because they are. All right? Not one, of us who, not one of us in this room who's a Christian is not a hypocrite because we're sinful human beings. Not one of us in this room who's a Christian 
hasn't got angry in the last two days. I'm giving you a real long period there, by the way. Two days. I'm being really generous. Not one of us in this room who's a Christian hasn't done something wrong in the last hour. Just forget about that. What is the qualification for those who would be saved eternally? It is this. Believe. Believe. It is that simple. Christ came. Christ lived a life that I could not live. Died a death that I deserve. Rose on the third day signifying that we would rise with him for eternity. Believe. Believe. That is our only responsibility. Praise God. Praise God. It is not more complicated than that. So, we have the exact same evidence. We have the scriptures. We have the words of Jesus. We have the empty tomb. And we have the life of the disciples to see how they believed after Jesus' resurrection. Are we going to believe? Are we going to believe? Praise God. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Twenty quid, twenty quid, twenty quid, thirty quid, thirty quid, thirty quid, forty quid. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray first, and then we're we're going to worship. Father, we thank you for your the so many evidences that you've given us of Christ's resurrection. Yeah, you've been so clear with us. Help us to believe, Father. We echo the words of. Scripture, when we say we believe but help our unbelief. Father, help us, we pray. Father, I pray that the person of Spirit would now move amongst us. Help us to believe. Help us to understand. Help us to come to Jesus in faith. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.